Uh, this reading this week will be Luke 1, verses 26 through 35. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, it is certainly a pleasure to be with you again this morning. I always enjoy meeting with the saints here at White Oak with such a wonderful family here, and uh, honorable congregation of the Lord's people. Mary is uh, one of the few women in the Bible of which we have a glimpse from uh, her being a young lady all the way up to an aged mother. She was simply a peasant girl who would later become the mother of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth. We recall on the journey home from uh, the Jerusalem feast that they lost their boy. They had traveled for two days searching for him amongst the caravan on its way back to Nazareth. And finally having found him back in Jerusalem in the temple, he was going about his father's business. When he reached the age of about 30, she no doubt with pride watched him preach across across the Galilean countryside, understanding that he was something extremely special. Then when he reached the age of about 30, she no doubt again watched him preach, and later though she would grow anxious, wouldn't she? As she saw the mission unfold that he was on and saw the great danger that no doubt was imminent for him, and she understood at least in some way about that. Mary was a, was a great woman. She was a great woman because her burden was great. But as we look at the gospel accounts in which we read about this young woman, the gospel accounts, the four versions of the one gospel, they're biographical sketches into the life of Jesus, not His mother Mary. Oh, she's there. We read about her again, uh, more so details within her life from beginning up toward the end than probably a lot of other women in the Bible. But we're talking about a biographical account of our Lord. But 
because we've been blessed with these accounts and the insight into her life, we learn some great lessons from this great woman. She was a godly woman. We've witnessed the strength of Mary through the recorded events left for us, and she was a strong woman. She endured what most people could not. And her strength has taught us some very fundamental things about this life. Some things that we need to make uh, sure that we apply to the way we live our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, as followers of God, we do not worship Mary in any way. She's not deity. She is not a part of the Godhood. She was simply a woman like any other woman physically speaking. But because she was of great character and because of who she was and the great strength that she possessed, we learn a lot from her. The first thing we want to talk about this morning as we look at this fine woman is that we learn that in this life there will be strain. There are going to be times in our lives that we look upon them and we really wish things were not that way. The strain she would do that she would come into contact with and one that she so faithfully uh, bore was brought about because she was chosen by God. God chose Mary. Have you ever wondered why was it that God chose Mary out of all the other women in Palestine? Why was it that she was the one that was uh, chosen to bear the responsibility of bringing our Lord into this world? Well, in our passage this morning, Luke has recorded for us that she was highly favored by God. What a compliment to a young lady to be highly favored by God. Now, that is not politically correct in our culture, is it? No one wants to be highly favored by God. People want to act in such a way that really would bring dishonor to God. But this woman was a true godly woman. And she was highly favored by God. She was blessed among women. And God saw a strength in her that most people did not see. Most people were not aware of. And they simply overlooked it. She had the qualities that were required to be the mother of Christ. The woman who would bring him into this world physically speaking and help to rear him and help to make him the man that he became. I want us to notice some of these qualities. She was a moral young lady, Luke chapter 1. She thought about what God wanted. How should she behave? How, how should she act in this world? Would it bring honor to God or would it bring dishonor? She was a humble, expectant mother as we continue in Luke chapter 1. And she was full of faith. Another great compliment. She was an anxious mother who was concerned for the safety of her son. She was concerned like any mother would be when, when dangers came his way, when things happened to him. You know she saw him when he was hungry. She saw him when he went without sleep. She saw him when the burdens of this life put a strain on him that no other person could have ever borne. She was a believer who, who sought out her son when he was surrounded by the crowd, 
when the press came upon him, she wanted to speak to her son, Mark chapter 3. She was a mother who was there for her son as he endured the cross of Calvary, John 19. And most importantly, as we look at the strength of Mary and this wonderful young lady, she was a devout worshiper of God, Acts 1 verse 14. But isn't that how it normally goes? Ordinary people just simply often overlooked. The world looks at someone and, and they don't appear to be anything very special and, and they are quickly dismissed as useless. But what should we do? We ought to do the same things that God has done. We look below the surface and we're able to find some qualities that God knew were there all along. And qualities that He could use as He was ushering in the Christian dispensation of time. The time when the Lord would come into the earth and He would take care of the sin problem if we allow Him to do that. But Jesus Himself was overlooked as a young man, wasn't He? He wasn't anything out of the ordinary or so it didn't appear to those who were surrounding Him. Isaiah talked about that. He said He was comely of feature. He was not something that would grab your attention. But He was just simply overlooked, at least for a period of time. God knew something about the future mother of our Savior. Something that no one else had been able to pinpoint up to that time. I believe that's why she was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus. Like those in the past, God still makes choices today, doesn't He? God chooses. He's always chosen. He has chosen those who would be His people. Now, we're not talking about in some arbitrary way that He says this individual will be saved and that individual will be lost. That's not what we're talking about. But He has chosen a group of people to be His people. And we can be a part of that if we want to. Peter said this. He said, but ye are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. A chosen group of people at a certain time in history. He said, a peculiar people that we ought to show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Peter 2, 9. The opportunity to become a part of that elect, that group of people, is open to everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to be a part of the elect. Paul told Timothy that God would have all men to be saved. All men to come unto the knowledge of the truth. He wants all people to live eternally in heaven, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Then again it was Peter. We go back and we look at his second letter and Peter said, the Lord is not slack concerning the promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. God doesn't want anyone to be lost, but He requires repentance. He wants everyone to come to Him, but He requires repentance. He wants all people to live eternally in heaven, but He requires repentance. That takes strength, doesn't it? We learn that from Mary. She had the strength that could allow her to be a vessel for God. 
and to do one of the greatest things that has ever happened in the history of man. Like Mary, we've been chosen by God, but also like Mary, we have been given a chore that can be the source of strain sometimes, can't it? Mary was chosen to give physical birth. She was chosen to bring the Lord into the world. and That's a natural occurrence of events in nature. That doesn't make it easy, but it doesn't make it out of the ordinary. But she just didn't give birth to the Messiah. She reared that boy. She reared him into the man that he became. She reared him into the man who would go to the cross willingly and would lay down his life willingly for us. And she reared him to the age of maturity, physically speaking. That was a load. That was a strain. What a chore. No task is greater than for a parent to rear his or her child in the admonition of the Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit commanded. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. Let them be nurtured by the teachings of God. Let them yield themselves to God the Father. Let them bend themselves to fit God's pattern. That's what Paul's talking about. Though he was God in the flesh, Jesus still had to endure the things of this life, live the things of this life, and he learned as a person what that meant in a very personal way. God, the Father, did not die on the cross for us. Does that make Him any less God? No, it doesn't. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross for us. Does that make Him any less God? No, absolutely not. But Christ took the form of a man. He came to this earth and Jesus the man carried that cross to Calvary, allowed Himself to be nailed on it, and He died for our sins. Does that make Him more God than the others? No, it doesn't. But it makes Him the one who did that for us. The writer of Hebrews, he said, Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Learned in that context means to learn by the use of practice. He endured it physically. He did what the other two persons of the Godhead did not do. Not that that makes them less God. They had other areas wherein they worked in the kingdoms of men. Christ was chosen to be the Savior of the entire world. Can you imagine the added strain of knowing that, of learning that your son had been chosen by God, that he came from heaven itself, took the form of a man and he would die for the world? I can't even imagine the strength that she, should, that she had. And that chore would follow her the remainder of her life. She would never get away from it. A parent never stops being a parent. A child never stops being a child and they're never far from the minds of mom and dad. That's just the way it is, isn't it? Again, we recall the event when Christ stayed in Jerusalem as His family returned to, to Nazareth. 
after the Passover celebration, they had lost their son. They were scared to death, no doubt about it. They were looking around for the boy. They thought no, no, likely that something terrible had happened to him. He wasn't with them. Where was he? Have you ever lost a child at least for a little while? <clears throat> I have. We were traveling one time back from uh, Crossville. We'd stopped at, I don't remember, the exit on I-40 and we were... We stopped at, a, at an RV place and we were looking around and I was getting some, pli- some supplies for our camper and Cameron began to look at all the new campers. Well, we loaded up and left and she's not very vocal in the back seat often and so I got down the road and I said, wait a minute, where's Cameron? So I called back and they said, we don't see anybody here. Scared me to death. So I cut a U-turn on the interstate. I went back. She didn't even know we were gone. She'd been looking at a camper. You know, I wanted to hug her and kill her all at the same time. So when I look at that strain in the life of Mary and Joseph, that boy is missing. They don't know where he is. Takes a lot of strength. For two days, not 15 minutes. For two days. They didn't understand completely what was going on or why that had happened. They didn't know, but they knew they had to place their trust in God. That takes strength to place one's trust in God. We know what our chore in this life is, don't we? Solomon concluded that the duty of man, the whole of man, is to fear God and keep His commandments. How do we do that in this life, in this dispensation? In the time in which we live now, how do we keep God's commandments? Well, we first have to obey the gospel, don't we? Before we can be a member of the family, we have to get into the family. We have to be a part of God's people. If we want to be a part of the elect, we have to choose to be a part of the elect. How do we do that? Well, God tells us we have to look to the Bible. We have to look to what He says, not what someone else says. It doesn't matter what Rick says. What matters is what the Holy Spirit said. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We're to listen to God, right? Romans 10, 17. And as we dig into the Word of God and and we learn what it means to be a child of God and we decide we want that, we have to listen to the instruction of those who came before us, right? Those on the day of Pentecost asked Peter that. Acts 2, 36. Acts 2.37 Men and brethren, what shall we do? Jesus said, repent. Or Peter said, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We continue with following that example that's set before us in confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We read that in Matthew 16.16. That's what Peter did. He was asked, who do people say I am? He said, well, all manner of things. John the Baptist, Elijah. Who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Then we submit to baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Acts 22.16 And at that point, we become part of the family. Acts 2.47 That's how we live for God. That's how we initially do His will. 
But the chore continues with faithfulness. God expects that until His Son returns the second time. Mary understood the strain of life and her strength carried her through that. But strength was required for other things in her life. She needed to be able to withstand the strain of being the mother of Jesus, understanding she'd lose that boy, she'd lose her her son, that He would give Himself, that's a strain for her. But there were other things that she had to overcome. She, She endured the slander of this world. I feel so sorry for Mary when I read about her. She knew about all the gossip surrounding her perfect son. She understood what was being said. You know, the throughout Jesus' life, the Jews bragged about knowing who their father was. Oh, Abraham's our father. That was an insult directed to him because people were saying, Jesus doesn't know who his father is. He's claiming to be the son of God. We all know that, well, Joseph is supposed to be his father. Don't you know people love gossip? They love to talk about others. They love to cause hurt and pain. Mary knew the facts about the birth of Jesus. She understood exactly that she's a righteous woman. She understood she did not break the covenant that she had made with Joseph, her soon-to-be husband. She knew that she was pure. Had never been with a man. She asked Gabriel, how can this be so? I've never known a man power of God will bring this child to you. However, others would not believe the facts that she knew so well. They wanted to use that in some way to disparage the character of Christ. She endured the rumors, the gossip about this unplanned pregnancy, but she did so bravely and successfully. Gossip and slander is nothing new to the world. That evil has been going on from almost the very beginning of time. Satan took upon himself the form of a servant, didn't he? We read in Genesis 3, verses 4 through 5, and he began to spread slander and gossip. He said that you shall not surely die because God knows in the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll be just like him. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want what's best for you. That's what Satan was saying. He understood that was a lie, but Adam and Eve, Eve especially, she was tricked, she was fooled. Adam not so much. He saw what was going on and yet he yielded to it anyway. The Apostle John had to deal with a man that spread lies and caused problems within the church. Why would anybody want to tear up the church of God? Why would anybody want to destroy the fellowship and the peacefulness that ought to be in the church of God. Yeah, John knew about Diotrephes. He told Gaius this. He said, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. He wasn't just going to let him off the hook, was he? He wasn't just going to let him tear up the church for which Christ died. The church that he used his blood to establish. He wasn't going to allow that. He said, Prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, that that didn't satisfy him. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church, 3 John 10. He viewed the church that God 
established with his own blood as some sort of a country club. That he, he would decide who could be a member and who would not be a member. John said, I'll remind him of that. I'll address that when I come. This word prating, that's a very important word that we don't use in our vernacular today, but prating means to utter nonsense, to speak nonsense, talk idly, to bring forward idle accusations, to make empty charges, to accuse one falsely with malicious words. Now that's what this so-called Christian was doing. John said, I'll remind him. But because of her strength, Mary stood up under that. She withstood that. She didn't allow the pressures of gossip to cause her to do something wrong. But she also knew, as she faced this slander, that gossip alone wasn't going to be the only technique. The people around her and her family would do their best to goad her into doing something wrong, into a life of sin. That's what they wanted for Jesus also. To goad means to agitate or to be an agitator. Oh, now I understand when when I'm reading the gospel accounts exactly what was going on. That's what was happening in the life of Jesus every single day. Now we're not given a lot of detail about the family life, the home of, of Mary and Joseph, but there's one thing we know for sure. Those people around them treated them unkindly. They didn't treat them the way in which they should. They weren't good neighbors to them. They didn't speak highly of that good family, that hard-working man, Joseph, who supported his family, who reared his children to live a righteous, godly life. They didn't support the mother who was at home teaching her children how to be godly and live a righteous life. The Jewish leadership, they put a whole lot of time and effort in trying to destroy our Lord. They tried to trick Him into sinning. They tried to turn His words around on Him and try to cause someone to think evil of Him. They tried to prove He was a liar and a con artist. And they failed miserably. I believe Jesus learned as a boy growing up about the strength required to live in this life. And I think He learned it from His mother. Strain and slander, they're going to come in this life. But sometimes there are things that are even worse. Sometimes there's a sorrow that comes that's so hard to to bear. Through the sorrow that Mary endured, she saw her son for who he was, for who he truly was, that he was special and he was different from any other child who had ever lived, from any child who would ever live, the angel Gabriel came to her and talked about all the things that he would do for his people, but not just his people, not just the Jewish people, but for the world. He would give himself, he would die, he would suffer. You know, she must have been confused. Someone that was chosen by the God of heaven to come and save the world to be so mistreated? How someone could come into the world and and give up the glory of heaven for a place like this? 
to be mistreated by people like these? That had to have been confusing for this young mother. To see her son treated in that way after he had given himself, given all that he could give, emptied himself for us. She had to have been confused. She saw that sorrow in a very personal way. She knew Jesus had been falsely accused. He was taken to the kangaroo court. It was illegal. Charges brought against him at night against the law for that to happen. She saw all that unfolding. She saw the proceedings, the scourging. She walked with him as he carried his cross to Golgotha. She was there when they threw him down on that cross beam and they drove those nails through his hands. She saw all of that. How in the world did she endure that? I couldn't do it. The strength of Mary. What a lesson for us. She saw it. But she could see more than just right now. She could see beyond. But she wasn't the only person who witnessed that. God saw everything that she saw. But see, the difference is between what Mary saw and what God saw and sees today is that when we sin willfully, we put to shame our Savior again. Notice what the writer said, Hebrews 6, 6. If they shall fall away, those who are Christians, They decide to become unfaithful, to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Now there is this idea in the religious world that every time we sin, Christ is crucified literally again. The rock was struck once. Christ died one time. He is not literally crucified every single time we sin. So what does the writer intend? He said they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh. My actions, the sin, that's what caused the sacrifice. And I continually do it when I choose to sin willfully. When I'm not walking in the light, when I'm not living a life for Christ. Mary not only saw what was happening As these things unfolded, she stood at the very foot of the cross and watched it happen. She wasn't standing from afar off. We remember the account of Peter, don't we? Following the Lord. And and Peter, he wanted to be faithful, but not too faithful, didn't he? He wanted to be there because he did truly love Jesus, but he didn't want to be real close. He didn't want someone to be able to make that connection. Do you remember where Mary was? The whole time she was there. What about John? The Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, was right there the whole time. Peter stood afar off. Not Mary. Not Mary. She stood right there. She watched her son be murdered and mistreated at the hands of sinful people. That woman had strength. She stood by him throughout the whole merciless event. She carried the strain, she, she faced the slander, she endured the sorrow. 
Well, we ought to love that woman. We ought to think about her. We ought to use her for a lesson. She stood firm. You know why? Because she didn't leave early. You know what happens when you leave early? You miss something, don't you? You miss something. There are people in the world that they wouldn't leave early from a football game or a baseball game under any circumstance because there's always that chance that you might come back and win. But people will leave early. They'll leave God. They'll run for a little while. Paul said, what hindered you to continue your, your run? You were once faithful. Don't leave early. Stay. Stay to the end like Mary did. Don't miss. Her steadfastness showed her the victory that came when Jesus walked out of the tomb and destroyed, crushed the head of the serpent. She might have missed that. We can witness that same victory if we stand firm, if we will stay the course, if we'll do what God has asked. Notice what James said. James 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. If we love the Lord, we will not leave early. We will not stop. We talked in class this morning, talking particularly about prayer. We're talking about praying to God and asking for something, and maybe it not turning out the way I want it to. And I become angry and and hard-hearted, and I I feel angry toward God, and I'm, I'm wondering, why not? But don't leave early. Understand, God knows what He's doing. He's still in control. He's still in heaven. Christ is still ruling, and He knows what He's doing. Do not leave early, but endure to the end. Mary is one of the greatest servants that we read about in the Bible. Now because the denominational world has escalated her and put her somewhere she shouldn't be, sometimes we overlook her in fear of addressing her. Let's not allow the the denominational world to steal this woman from us. Let's learn from her. When God called upon her to shoulder the great responsibility of bringing Jesus into earth, she stood up and she did it without argument. She did it humbly. She did it doing and understanding that God had a plan and what can I learn from that? God still has a plan. He wants us to stand up under uh, the burden of living a life for Christ and He wants us to do it without argument. He wants us to do it humbly and He wants us to do it understanding He's got a plan and He knows exactly what He's doing. That's what God wants. When we learn about His plan, we ought to have a desire to be a part of His family. We talked about how to do that. When we look at Mary, we understand she is a great example of accepting God on His terms, not on her terms. Wouldn't it have been easier for her to have said, Now Lord, please just let me be married first, and we won't have to deal with all this gossip and this strain and this slander and all this sorrow. Just just take that out of the way. She just did what God asked. And that's what He expects for us. And we can learn from her. We can stand up under these problems in life if we'll just do it. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation, learning something from Mary, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.